0: Nick Swan, the associate pastor here at Grace. I want to welcome all of you in the West Hall and online as well. Uh, if you can, please turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. There's a pew Bible you can find in front of you, on, and you can turn to page 1015. passage is also found in your bulletins. We're going to continue our 1 Peter series this morning entitled Elect Exiles. And the title of this morning's particular message is Honor the Emperor. Honor the Emperor. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. First Peter 2, 13-17 It reads Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution Whether it be to the emperor as supreme Or to governors as sent by him To punish those who do evil And to praise those who do good For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, I pray that you would be present this morning by your spirit. Father, I ask that you would allow us to examine this passage and our hearts carefully in light of this passage. Speak to us through your word that we might conform our hearts, not to our own desires, but to your will for us. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. See if this dialogue between a parent and a child sounds familiar to you. Parent, Johnny, please pick up your toys. Child, in a whining voice, I don't want to. Parent, Johnny, it doesn't matter if you want to. I need you to pick up the toys because it's time to go to bed. Child, in a more insistent whining voice, but I don't want to. Parent, Johnny, please pick up your toys. child why parent getting a little irritated because i said so it's the phrase that all children hate because i said so it's a phrase that all of us hated as children and we vowed probably that we would never do that to our kids and yet i guarantee you if i were a fly on a wall i would probably hear one or two of you say because i said so at least once a week here's the question Why does that phrase irritate our children so much? Why does it even irritate us? I think it irritates us because the desire for autonomy is rooted deeply in our hearts. Every man, woman, and child. And it goes all the way back to the garden. When the serpent says to Eve, did God really say in that moment, what he was doing is appealing to her autonomy to make her own decisions. She knows better, and she can do what she thinks is best. A child of mine, who shall remain nameless, at three years old was in a timeout behind a closed door, and Rebecca and I were outside the door, and we could hear our child on the other side of the door saying this, I want to do what I want to do. I make the rules. <laughs> And so first off, Rebecca and I looked at each other and thought, whoa, like, all right, we're going to have to work on this one. But also we thought, isn't that the cry of every human heart? In our heart of hearts, we all want to be the king of our own castle. We want to be the master of all we survey. We don't want anything or anyone telling us what we can and cannot do, especially when they say to us, because I said so we hate it. The next 3 weeks we are going to be covering passages that address what it looks like to serve the Lord by submitting to him through the various governing authorities in our society. The three institutions we are going to be covering are government, work, and marriage. And these passages are going to push back against our desire to live life on our own terms, to define for ourselves how we want to live. But I believe if we are willing to listen to God's word and if we're willing to follow his design for human institutions, that we will see that God's design for us is good and that obedience to him is a blessed thing. And this morning we're going to be tackling submission to the first of these three governing authorities. Main point of this message this morning is this God calls us to display our, the freedoms of our heavenly citizenship by submitting to earthly governing authorities. God calls us to display the freedoms of our heavenly citizenship by submitting ourselves to earthly governing authorities. So as God's chosen people, as his elect people, we have a new citizenship. Our citizenship is now in heaven. And that gives us a a certain kind of freedom. But God doesn't intend for us to use that freedom to throw off human institutions. What he actually calls us to do is submit ourselves to these institutions because he has given these institutions to us. So this morning we're going to examine God's call to submit to earthly governing authorities. Point number one is be subject, be subject. Look with me again at verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So Peter starts with a command, be subject or another way of saying it is subject yourselves. And what he's getting at here is that we have a command to make a willing decision to subject ourselves to the governance of every human institution. Then he asks, to whom are we to be subject? Peter says we are to be subject to every human institution, or another translation is be subject to every institution ordained for people. It's quite broad, covers everything. And to bring clarity, Peter then gives an immediate example of a governing authority where you have emperors and governors, and then he goes on in the following verses to talk about slaves and masters and then wives and husbands. And so when we begin to add governing authorities to work relationships to marital relationships, and then you add those to God's teaching in the scriptures about parents and children and members of a church and those who lead the church, you begin to see that God has designed a complex web of relationships that define how we are to relate to one another, and a complex design of relationships where we are subject to one another. So why does God ask us to be subject to human institutions? In verse 13, he says, for the Lord's sake, that's one reason. In verse 14, as sent by him, meaning these institutions. God asks us to subject ourselves to human institutions because he is sovereign over those institutions. They are sent by him. Paul states this more explicitly in Romans 13 when he says, "'Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment.'" We are to subject ourselves to human institutions because God says he is the one sovereignly ordaining them. Therefore, when we submit to those institutions, we are submitting to God. We submit to God by submitting to the institutions he has given us. Now let's hone in on the particular institution that Peter's talking about in our verses, governing authorities. Let's start by bringing this passage into the present by first understanding what were the governing authorities of Peter's day. So Peter is living in the first century. He's living under the auspices of the Roman Empire. At that point, essentially, the emperor had complete autonomy over the empire. And he had governors that he put over various territories that were to carry out his will. Very few people were citizens, and even those who were citizens had very little say in how and who governed them. Now for us, it's quite different. We live in a republic where there is self-governance. We have the rights as citizens to elect those who govern over us, and we ourselves can run for public office. We can both be the ones who govern, and we are also the ones who are governed, And we have the right to influence those who govern us in their policies through our freedom of speech and our freedom of assembly and our right to vote. In other words, in the United States, we are both those who govern and those who are governed. Now, although our form of government is different than Peter's, we are still called by God to subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Once we've exercised our rights as citizens, once we've taken opportunity to seek to influence the policies that are in place, we are then called by God, and by God through Peter, to then subject or obey the governing authorities in what they've asked us to do. Now I'm sure a couple of you are already beginning to ask, well, what are the exceptions? When, when, am I, when is it okay to not do what the governing authorities do? When, what do we do when they aren't always approving what is good and punishing what is evil? What do we do then? Well, we're going to get to the exceptions later, so hold, hold your question. We're also going to get to the manner in which, when we have to disagree or when we engage in political discourse, how ought we to go about it? But Peter starts with this principle of submission, and so that's where I want to start for us this morning. Quite simply, these two verses tell us that we are commanded by God to willingly obey the governing institutions which he has put in place. This command is easy when we agree, isn't it? But when we agree, that's not actually submission. Submission is obeying when we disagree. Submission is, I don't want to do this, but I've been asked to do this. Therefore, I will subject myself to this authority and obey it. And it's in this moment that our hearts want to well up like my three-year-old. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I want to make the rules. It's hard. Maybe I'm the only one, but when someone tells me to do something, what it elicits from me, even when I want to do it, if someone tells me I have to do it, the first thing I want to do is, nope, I don't want to do that. We want to do what we want to do. And it's precisely in this moment when submission requires that we remind ourselves of who is ultimately responsible for placing men and women in authority. Now, it's true, yes, we have lots of freedom to set these people in place, men and women in places of authority. But we would do well to remember that ultimately the one who places authority over us is God Himself. He is the one who places men and women in authority over us. Therefore, we are called to subject ourselves to them in obedience to God. Now, we have the privilege in our com- country both to govern and to have a say in how we are governed, and we should avail ourselves of every single one of these freedoms when they are offered to us. However, once a political outcome is decided, once policies have been put in place... ...there comes a point where God calls us to subject ourselves to these governing authorities... ...even when we do not agree with their decisions. And here's the reality check. If Peter and his readers could subject themselves to the emperor... ...who, by the way, was Nero, who was prolific in his persecution and martyrdom of Christians who ultimately, we believe, martyred Peter himself. If Peter can call us, if he can himself subject himself to the emperor, how much more can he call us to subject ourselves to the governing authorities, ones in which we actually have a say in putting in place? This call to be subject, it's not an easy call, but it is a call that God places upon us and gives to each and every one of us. Peter calls us to be subject And he roots this call, and our second point, in our identity, that we are free citizens of heaven. So our second point this morning is this, free to submit, free to submit. Look with me me at verses 15 and 16, excuse me, 15 and 16. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of God. So Peter begins in verse 15 by the impact that our submission has upon a watching world. Last week I mentioned that our honorable conduct will at times bring the ire of evildoers against us. They will speak out against us. And in these verses, Peter is showing us one means through which our honorable conduct can be displayed to the world so that even when evildoers, whom he calls ignorant and foolish people, even when they seek to speak out against us, our honorable conduct will be such that we silence them. This was an spe- experience of Jesus himself when he was put on trial by the Sanhedrin and Herod and Pilate. Throughout his life, he honored governing authorities. At no point did he bring about an insurrection against Rome, saying, I'm the true king that should rule over all things. He encouraged folks to do their duty to Roman soldiers, not only carrying their burdens one mile, but he encouraged them to carry them the second mile. He encouraged folks to pay their taxes, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. He honored Jewish leaders while also challenging them at times, by attending synagogue and the temple, by obeying the legal and ceremonial laws, and by engaging respectfully and thoughtfully when he objected to how they were teaching, even when they were seeking to entrap him and kill him. And so when foolish people sought to bring up Trump charges against him, they didn't have any charges to bring. If you remember, he went before Herod and Pilate. What did Herod and Pilate say? There, there's nothing deserving of death that this man has done. There's no charge against him. And even the Jews, when they convicted him, what did they convict him of? They convicted him of blasphemy, which was actually simply telling the truth about who he really was, claiming to be God. So how are we enabled to do this? How can we emulate this example that Christ has given to overcome our resistance ...to submission, which is so hard. The passage teaches us we do so out of the freedom of our citizenship... ...the freedom that our citizenship grants us. We don't submit to human authorities... ...because they're the ultimate authorities over us. We are citizens of a kingdom... ...that transcends every single human authority on this earth. But God tells us we're not to use that freedom as citizens of heaven... ...to therefore do whatever we want... What he commands us to do is take that freedom and actually submit that freedom to governing authorities because he himself is the one who has placed them there. Now, I think we all know of someone who uses their freedoms or their proximity to power to get away with things. Have you ever met someone, they just, nothing sticks to them. Whenever something they've done is wrong, they find some way to weasel out of what's happened. Well, I've got a story from my middle high school years where I had a run-in with just such a kid in sophomore English, and his name was Ryan. Ryan and I regularly had run-ins in Mrs. Master's sophomore English class. And often we would get sent to the principal's office. And I noticed over time that although we had both been convicted of the same crime and sent to the office, my punishments were growing more and more severe, while Ryan's were not. And so eventually, after my seventh time to the office in that class, the vice principal... I've given hope to a lot of parents. Uh, My seventh time to the principal's office, the vice principal says to me, Nick, after the eighth, you're done. Like, you're going to have to retake sophomore English. So for several months, I'm on the straight and narrow. Um, I'm living the good life until eventually I have another run-in with Ryan. So I was at the front of the class before the bell rang. You guys still have bells? Yeah. Okay. All right. Bell rang. I'm standing up at the front. I have a Kit Kat in my hand. And so then suddenly out of nowhere, there's this foot that kicks the Kit-Kat bar out of my hand and flies across the room. Of course, this pre-conversion Nick let out a series of salty words towards Ryan, who had kicked the Kit-Kat out of my hand. Well, of course, the teacher didn't see the Kit-Kat kicked out of my hand. She entered just as all the words were coming out of my mouth. And so Mrs. Masters says, All right, Nick, that's eight, sends me out, kicks me out of the class, and I get to retake sophomore English as a junior which is fun. Later, I talked to Ryan, and I asked him, how, did, how have you managed to get away with this? I'm the one retaking sophomore English, feeling like a complete idiot, and you somehow have not had to pay any penalties. And he smiles and he laughs at me, and he says this, and I'll never forget it. He said, Swan, you idiot. Don't you know that my dad is a member of the administration of the whole school district? I will get sent to detention all day long, but I will never get kicked out of a class. And then he, then he says this to me. His parting words were, Have fun next year in sophomore English. It's like, Man, what a punk. <laughs> it, was, it was rough. So, Ryan was a guy who was using his freedom, his connection to a higher plane of authority to, as Peter says, cover up his evil. God calls us to the exact opposite of what Ryan was doing. He wants us to use our freedoms not to serve ourselves, to cover up evil, but to serve others. God doesn't want us to be his bratty kids who play on his name in the world and act simply because we're citizens of heaven that we no longer need to think about what anyone on this earth tells us. He also doesn't want us to be the bratty kids on earth who appeal to the authority that we have to then manipulate the system to get around the authorities that he has put in place. Rather, he wants us to use our freedoms in service to others so that when the world watches us, we can silence the ignorance of foolish people. Again, Jesus demonstrates this principle for us. When he was being questioned by Pilate in John 18, he says this to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. What Jesus is saying is, look, my kingdom transcends this world. I created this world. I spoke this world into existence and I am the king of that kingdom yet i'm subjecting myself to you in this moment i'm foregoing my freedom out of obedience to my father he conducted himself in such a way because he understood what that pilate represented the authority of god in in and through this human institution later in john 18 pilate and jesus have this exchange so pilate said to jesus you will not speak to me Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given from above. We see in these two little pictures that Jesus had absolute authority, but out of obedience to the Father, he subjected himself to a lesser authority, in this case, even a wicked authority, out of obedience to the Father. And he did so out of service to us. He willingly subjected himself to a wicked governing authority, taking the punishment that he did not deserve so that you and I might have the freedom of citizenship in heaven. Now, to get to the exceptions, because I'm sure some of you are thinking this. What about when these governing authorities are not punishing those who are evil and praising those who are doing good? What about when these governing authorities might be asking us to do something which is evil? When do we have the rights as citizens of heaven to disobey? And what's the bar at which that situation must reach before we do so? There are several occasions in the scripture where God does approve disobedience to governing authorities. For example, example, Daniel 6. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Why? Because he disobeyed the command of the king that commanded him that he may not pray. He had some friends in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into, a, thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had ordered them, commanded them to worship. And Peter and the apostles in Acts 4 and 5, they were beaten because they refused to obey the Jewish leaders who had said, you may not preach in the name of Christ. And in that moment they said, we must obey God rather than men. In each of these instances we see the bar for disobedience is quite high. They're commanded not to pray, they disobey. They're commanded not to share in the name of Christ, they disobey. They're commanded to worship a golden idol, and they disobey. The bar is high. Wayne Grudem in his commentary on 1 Peter defines the bar this way. We must obey the governing authorities except when they command us to sin. Although this bar is high, there are times where this bar can be reached, and each of us will need to make a decision to obey God rather than. Than men. So, a few questions for us. How are you choosing to use the freedom that your heavenly citizenship grants you? Are you using it to serve others, or are you using it to rebel, thinking, I don't need to submit to these lesser authorities? Or are you using your human capital to get around the authorities that God has put in place in order to fight for what you want through other means? Jesus, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Peter, and the apostles, they used their freedom and their influence not to serve themselves, but to serve within the the, the boundaries of the governing authorities that God had put in place over them, as far as they were able. And when they had to make a choice between obeying God and obeying man, they chose to obey God. But notice, when they did so, they still had to pay the penalty for doing so. There's a high price to pay when we choose to, in in an ordered way, obey God rather than men, therefore choosing to disobey the governing authorities. Are you choosing carefully when you refuse to submit to the governing authorities? Are you keeping the bar as high as the examples in Scripture? And are you prepared to pay the price that even when you are free before God to disobey that governing authority, that governing authority may punish you, and you may have to pay the price for obedience to God rather than man. When we identify with Christ, our lives will be more carefully scrutinized. And friends, I I want you to know and to think and to be cognizant of that the world is watching us. When we say that we are Christians, they're watching us. They are scrutinizing our lives. And the question is, when the world observes your relationship to governing authorities, what do they see? And what does that say about you and your relationship with God? The world is watching how we respond to governing authorities. Young people, how you respond to teachers and principals and coaches For the rest of us, local, state, national authorities, the world is watching us, and they are taking note when in order to get what we want, we either dismiss authorities or work around them. They see that, they see the hypocrisy in that, and they observe that in us. They also take note, however, when we take a principled stand for what we believe, regardless of the consequences. So not only is the world watching our submission ...and our principal disobedience. They are also watching the manner in which we do both of these things. Point number three, very briefly, give honor. Look with me again at verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So Peter finishes this section with four commands. And when we put these four commands together... It gives us boundaries for how we are to engage with one another and the world around us. We are to honor everyone, to show regard for every single person. It's honor everyone, regardless of whether we agree or disagree with them. We are to love the brotherhood, our brothers and sisters in the church here at Grace. We are to fear God, remembering that we are citizens of a higher kingdom and that God himself has sovereignly put governing authorities in place. Last, we we are to honor the emperor, here representing all of the governing authorities that God is sovereign over. So collectively, these four commands, they're parameters for how we are to relate to one another and to those in the public sphere. This last year has placed a great deal of pressure on all of us, and it's in moments of pressure that we often will see when squeezed what's really going on in our hearts, who we really are as people. And when it comes to our relationship to governing authorities and the manner in which we engage in political discourse, the pressures of the last year have revealed a lot about each and every one of us. And I believe each of us would do well, including me, and I've been doing this, each of us would do well to spend some time examining our hearts and lives in light of this passage, ask yourself this question Over this last year, have you honored everyone in our society, treating them with dignity and respect in your words, in your thoughts, and in your actions, especially when you strongly disagree with them? In a unique way in my lifetime, political discourse has not only been in the church, but it's been divisive in the church. How have you done loving your brothers and sisters at Grace, regardless of who they voted for, regardless of their thoughts about race and social justice issues, regardless of their stance towards masks and vaccinations? What have you feared more in the last year? Have you feared God who brings security and rest and hope and clarity or have you feared the virus the outcome of elections and what all of the social pressures around us and how they will what they are and how they will impact each and every one of us what have you feared more God or the circumstances in our world Over the last year how have you done honoring the emperor as expressed in the various authorities who govern us, local, state, and national officials, people, and the institutions they oversee? Have you honored them in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions? Ask it another way. If someone were to observe your life over the last year, what would they say about your conduct in these four areas? And would it silence the foolishness of ignorant people, or would it actually give them occasion... For accusation. Friends, I found meditating on this passage just last week to be so convicting to my soul. There's so much room for improvement in my own life and how I submit to governing authorities. How I honor everyone. How I love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the emperor I just finished reviewing this message last night and then I got in a conversation with one of my kids who we were watching some documentary and they said, what's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican? So immediately I start talking about it, but immediately my tone is, and I'm thinking, I just studied this. I'm preaching on this tomorrow. And so I like back up with the child and say, hang on, I'm gonna be honorable in my speech, disagree with respect and do so in such a way that it could not give occasion for me to be accused ...by ignorant people. I paused. My encouragement is for all of us to pause... ...meditate on this passage... ...examine our hearts and minds... ...and ask God to genuinely convict us... ...where we may not be obeying what God has to say. And what I think this will do... ...is I think it will reduce the temperature. One of the privileges of being a citizen of heaven... ...is that we can back away from the fray... ...and bring a perspective that the world cannot see. But if we are engaged in the world, as the world engages, then we too become part of the problem. But as Christians, as citizens of heaven, we can back up, we can honor everyone, we can love the brotherhood, we can fear God, and we can honor the emperor in such a way that we can display the goodness of Christ in the world and the hope that we have that transcends the messiness of the world in which we live. May we be that people, citizens of heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you even for the pattern of simply going through books of the Bible verse by verse, which forces us not to hit the passages we want to hear, but to consider the ones we don't want to hear. And so I pray this morning that we would open our hearts to you That each of us would embrace your design as good and for our good. And that as we do so, by your spirit, you might transform us to look more like Christ, citizens of our heavenly home. I ask this in Christ's name.